morning. I'm going to start a new series today, and um, I want to share with you um, the next several weeks. So hopefully you can be here the next several weeks. Every week be here, but we want you to be here the next several weeks as we get into this new series. Uh, we're going to be diving in, and it may just be a little bit more teaching uh, today. So, how many of you love the Lord this morning? It's quiet in here today. It's the presence of the Lord is here, right? There's peace in the house this morning. I feel His peace, and I feel His joy. And what we're going to be talking about this morning is kind of a, it's a hard talk this morning because it's not a, it's not one of those like cheerful type messages because it's just the state in which we live in. And we know that there's a spiritual war that's taking place, right? And as believers in Christ Jesus, we are prepared and we should be prepared for the war that's at hand. And we know that's happening right now. So, you know, talking about, you know, a spiritual war is not the most desirable thing to, to talk about, but it's a necessary thing to talk about, isn't it? Because it's true. And as we look in here this morning, we see a lot of people that, you know, we're dressed up. We may not be dressed up in suits and ties, but, you know, we're dressed nicely in here this morning. But if you could see in the spiritual, there are a lot of people that have been in a battle who have scars, spiritual scars. You have wounds because you have been in this spiritual conflict for some time. And maybe some of you are just starting off in this walk with the Lord. And I want to let you know that it's not a cakewalk, is it? It's not a cakewalk. It's more of a conflict. And we have to have that heads up going into this. And we do people a disservice, don't we, if we try to tell them and paint a picture of it. Everything's just going to be rosy and rosy and, you know, we're going to tiptoe through the, the tulips or whatever that is. But it is a conflict in life. It's not a playground, is it? It's a battleground. And that's what we're looking at. That's what we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. And I hope that you can just uh, track with me today and over the next several weeks. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. That's going to be the base. We may not get to much of Ephesians chapter 6 today, but we're going to be getting there throughout the next several weeks. We're going to be taking a look at the armor of God, and we're going to be talking about some necessary things. We are in a major, I mean, it's been going on for, for you know, thousands of years, this attack on uh, God's people, hasn't it? The attack on God's people isn't something that's new. We know that's been going on from the very beginning. So we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking a lot today. Uh, we're going to be looking at Satan. I hate even bringing up his name, but he is an adversary. He's the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He's a thief. And so we're going to be talking about him today. And what he wants to do is bring down uh, you as an image of God. We're going to be talking about that this morning. So we know that spiritual war is inevitable. The day you gave your life to Jesus, how many of you know this to be true, that your spiritual eyes were awakened, okay? That was the day that the, the devil started war on each and every one of us, the day that we gave our life to Jesus. Isn't that true in here today? The day you give your life to Jesus, your spiritual eyes are, are awakened, and now you are a threat to the adversary, the one who wants to steal, kill, and destroy you have a target on your back because he wants to take you down. That's not cheerful news today, is it? 
but it's reality. It's truth. It's where we're at. We see it being attacked on all fronts of our society uh, today. The Christian life is, is, it is a struggle. It's a fight. It's a clash. That is what a conflict is. And so today, if I was to title this message in this series of the armor of God, I would title it just something very basic and simple, conflict or concession. And no, I'm not talking about the stands at a ball game. We're not talking about a concession stand. We're talking about making negotiations with Satan. Okay? That's what we're going to be talking about as we go along through this this morning. I know that war is not what people want to hear. It's not desirable. It's not the appealing part, but it's inevitable. I'd much rather come in here today and talk to you about maybe the, the fruits of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit. But war is at hand, and it has been the day that you gave your life to Jesus. That is nothing new to us in here this morning. We all know that this is a war that we are in. And how are we going to handle the war that we're in? Are we going to be a, a, a part of this, um, this strategic plan by God? He has a strategic plan, just as the enemy has a strategic plan, right? God's plan is the plan I am with today. I don't want to be associated with what the devil has planned. I want to be about God's plan this morning. That's a good thing since I'm a preacher of the good news and the message of, of Jesus Christ, right? We want to be about God's plan this morning. Everybody in here today, you're here today. You want to be about God's plan today. You are here. You're saying that I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. Hopefully that's what you're saying. That's what we're saying. If not, hopefully that's what you want to be is a follower of Jesus. Okay? If you're watching online today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we want you to be a follower of Jesus. But as we do start this journey with Jesus, we know it is a war. It's a conflict that begins. More than once you read in the Bible about the Christian life being compared to a, a battle, right? We're not talking about some kind of militarized church. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a spiritual war that takes place. And many times throughout the Bible, you see it being compared to a battle, a conflict. The first verse I want to pull up there in 2 Timothy 2.3, and I believe we have that to pull up, it says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. That's wording that shows us that we are with Jesus. And he used the words as a soldier, right? We have enlisted into the Lord's army this morning. Uh, let's go to the next scripture, 2 Timothy 4, 7. I'm just going to be laying some uh, groundwork here this morning as we get into this series. 2 Timothy 4, 7, it says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He's talking about a fight, fighting. Anybody in here know that this has been a little bit of a, a conflict since you've been uh, hanging out with Jesus and you've asked Jesus into your life? How I many of you know it's, it, it's been a little bit? Anybody raise a hand and say it's, it's been a little struggle. It's been a little conflict along the way, right? It has been. We know that that's true. And, and for some you, we get weary in, in doing good. It's, it's kind of like we we got to be careful that we don't get weary in the fight because it is a fight, and the fight needs you this morning. It needs each and every one of us. Yes, 
We say that the Lord fights for us, and he does. But he's asked us to come alongside. He's asked us to have a part in this battle that's taking place and that's being waged on every family in America. We know that's true, right? Is there a family in here today that you have not felt like you have not had war waged against you, right? I mean, I could look around and we could share some stories and we could say, I know that's true. I felt like I've been in a conflict from day one. And it doesn't always feel like you're in a conflict or a war, but it's a constant thing that's there because you have a target on you and he wants to take you out. It's a bottom line, isn't it? 1 Timothy 6.12, it says this. It says, fight the good fight of faith. There it is again. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So these are scriptures that are just going back and showing us that it's wording talking about we are in a conflict and it's associating us as soldiers. Everybody with me so far this morning? All right? We have no choice. We have no choice in this. As I said earlier, the church, the church is under attack. How I many of you know that's true this morning? The church is under attack. It is definitely under attack. Our kids are under attack. I know that, uh, that Troy, you brought this up, I think, in a, in a Sunday school lesson here not that long ago about the, uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, did anybody see that or hear about that? You know, uh, in case you didn't hear about that or see that, you know, we know the Dodgers is a Major League Baseball uh, organization, and they were to play another team, and they were going to host a night where I don't even remember the name of this, this group, and I couldn't even believe that they had been around for 30 years, but this group had been around for 30 years, and uh, basically it was just making a mockery of nuns and, and Jesus Christ, and uh, it was shameful, and I just read to the teens in Sunday school over in Philippians talking about how, you know, Paul was, he said he was in tears. He had tears in his eyes when he was talking to the church of Philippi because the people were, were the, the, the appetites of their, their sinful desires were their gods. And he said they were doing shameful things. And, and what we were seeing there with the Dodgers and, and you're seeing manifestations of shameful things being full-fledged right before our very eyes. Uh, they're no longer in secret rooms. Uh, they're in wide-open spaces and stadiums. And, and so when you see that, that is shameful things that are taking place. And uh, not to get graphic, uh, did you see what some of the things they were doing on there? I don't even want to go into it because it, it, it's disgusting, okay? Um, you see this attack happening against the church, not just in the United States, but all over the world. We don't see it so much as far as a uh, violence, as a martyrdom here, but in other parts of the world you see that, don't you? We've talked about that before, how you see brothers and sisters, they give the ultimate sacrifice, their life for the cause of Christ. Um, we see different things happening here in the United States, uh, a, definitely a moral attack uh, that's been going on for quite some time now. But it's just more in your face. How many of you think this is true? I would make the statement that the more we see God manifesting himself, Satan will want to manifest himself to keep up. Right? 
as we see the, the, the coming of Jesus Christ and we see more of a, a pouring out of his spirit, you're going to see more of a pouring out from the enemy and those who follow after him uh, of a display and manifesting uh, themselves. I know that's true. We see it happening already. But we know who wins, don't we? The gospel is going to win. It is going to win. Jesus told Peter, he said, I'm going to build my church on you, Peter, and the gates of hell will not, it shall not prevail. So we know who wins this war. But we go through this every day. It's something, it's just part of the Christian life. It's part of the Christian journey. It's, it's part of, you know, just growing in Christ. And we will, we will, we have no choice we will go through things, and it will be a conflict of sorts, won't it? That's what it is. So what is your response to the conflict? I had three different responses that I thought of. Are you going to be an active soldier, which is, which is what we encourage and what the Bible encourages us to be, and that's kind of the wording that we read in those Timothy verses that we read earlier. Are we going to be an active soldier? Are we going to be actively involved in what's taking place? Or will we be a pacifist, and will we oppose war? Because that's what it is, it's a conflict. And I will tell you this, I do know some followers of Jesus that they have chosen to be a pacifist. And they don't accept, and they will not look at it as a conflict. And they will ignore what is taking place. Some people do that. That's a dangerous place to be. I will tell you that. Being a pacifist spiritually is a very dangerous ground to walk on. We're not talking about a militarized church. We're talking about a church that understands what's taking place, which we do, right? That we're all a part of what's going on here. Or perhaps you're the negotiating type and you're making concessions. And you want to make deals with the devil. That's dangerous. And we're going to talk about that. Concession means the act of giving something up to reach an agreement. You can't reason with the enemy, can you? You cannot reason with the devil. <laughs> Especially whenever the enemy is Satan. You cannot rationalize or even have conversation with the enemy. Now, some of you might be thinking, well, who in the world does that? There's plenty of people who will do that. They will negotiate things with the devil. You just leave me alone, and, and maybe I won't, you know, stir up too much trouble. And we don't say that verbally, but we do it with how we live out our life. You leave me alone, I'm going to leave you alone. Right? Isn't that some of the mentality? You just leave me alone, I'm going to leave you alone. Right? So we do this negotiating back and forth, and, and he's using the same old tactics as he did back in the garden. That's exactly what Eve was doing. She was having conversation with the enemy. And when you have conversation with the enemy like that, he's very good at deception. He's very good at twisting the truth. Because here's the thing, if you, if you negotiate and you make concessions with the enemy, it'll go something like this. Well, you know, one little tad bit of that sin won't hurt me none. So you have a conversation and you negotiate with the devil. 
and you say, well, I can dabble a little bit in it, and I'm okay, because I always know that I can go back, and God will forgive me because his grace is amazing. And that is truth this morning, because that's how, as humans, sometimes we think, and we think and we know, well, I know that I I know that Jesus Christ is coming back soon, and I know some of the signs. And some people will be like, well, I don't see that sign yet, so I can still live a little loose in my walk with Jesus. Is that too hard to preach in this morning? But that's why it ends up taking place. It's like I want to dabble a little bit, and then I'll, but we negotiate with the devil. And negotiations with the devil is not a good idea. I'm going to give you a comment from a former British intelligence officer who said this about ISIS. You remember who ISIS is, right? You don't hear much about ISIS anymore in the news, but we all know who ISIS is, I'm pretty sure. This British intelligence officer said this, you cannot negotiate with a mad dog. You cannot make accommodations for a mad dog. And you cannot do that with the enemy of your soul. There's no room, there's no time for negotiations. There's no room and there's no time to be a pacifist. There is a call for people to become active in this cause for Christ and the growth of the kingdom of God. If we truly believe, church, if we truly believe this, if we truly believe in the statement that Jesus is coming back soon, that would light a fire in every one of us, me included. Would it not? Would it not spark and fuel something in us to say, I have, I have got to do something. And what that something is, that's between you and God. What is God compelling you to do in the activeness of the army of the Lord? Hmm. I want to recall how Satan's original aim was for revolution, wasn't it? Can we go to Isaiah chapter 14? Verse 13 through 14, it says, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God, and I will set my throne on high. He's talking about what Satan wants to do here. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself the most high. See, that's what Satan wanted to do. He wanted to be where God was. He wanted to be worshipped. He wanted to be on that throne. That's where Satan wants to be. That's where he still wants to be today. He still wants that place of majesty. He wants that. And here's something interesting. Anytime a new regime comes into power, they destroy the symbols of the old regime. I'm going to let that sink in just for a moment, and I'm going to expand on that. Anytime a new regime comes into power, they destroy the symbols of the old regime. You see, Satan wants God's majesty. And he wants all the glory. 
That's what he desires. You see, Nebuchadnezzar, whenever he went in to Israel and Judea at that time, when he went in and he took captive those Jewish people and he took them back into Babylonian areas, what was some of the things that he done? He renamed them. He took away what was their prior regime, what the name was given them. And he gave them a new name. You see, Alexander the Great, whenever he would go and he would conquer a land, he would Hellenize the areas. Basically what he said was, I'm going to forcefully make you worship Greek gods. And you're going to speak the Greek language. And you're going to have Greek culture. And that was Hellenization, if you ever hear that term. And it was a forceful thing that Alexander the Great done. Let's take it more current. United States of America. Whenever we went over into Iraq during the Gulf War and Saddam Hussein was in power. And Saddam Hussein had a very large statue. Anybody remember this? What they do to that statue? They toppled it over. You see, this is exactly what Satan wants to do. And that's why he is at war and at conflict with each and every one of us. It shouldn't surprise us for thousands of years he's been doing this. Because we are images and symbols of God. Because he says he created us. In his image. So he wants to destroy. He wants to topple over the former or the current regime. He's not going to do it because he can't win. But that's what he wants to do. That's why he's attacking us as individuals because he wants to destroy anything that's an image of God. The Christian, that's what we are. We're to be, right? We're to be that to, to non-believers into our world, into our society, into our culture. So when we see the attack on the church, he wants to destroy it because he can't stand that symbol. He can't stand that image. He can't stand that resistance that's going against him. So he's going to do everything he can, possibly can, to take it down. You and I are made in that image. But Jesus says this. He says, he has come that we may have life and have it to the full. The enemy may say he wants to come to still kill and destroy, but Jesus says he came to give life and to give it to the fullest. So Satan tries to destroy God's image. He does. And God is working to restore it through Jesus. God's power is so much greater than Satan's power. That's nothing new this morning. That's nothing new. We know this this morning. That his power is so much greater. And the enemy may look like he is winning in the battles right now. Is anybody tired this morning? Anybody tired of the war, the conflict? Can we just be real? Anybody in here be honest enough to say, I'm just frankly tired of the conflict? Maybe three or four, five, six of us. Everybody else is good in the conflict. You like the conflict, right? You like waking up every morning and, and confronting, you know, 
Maybe we don't confront him face to face, but he manifests himself, you know. He manifests himself in so many ways. Whenever you encounter somebody and, and, and they steal from you, or they, they cheat you, or they do this, or they, they gossip about you, or they do this, he's manifesting himself all the time. Isn't that true? And I'm getting so sick and tired of every time I turn on YouTube, it's always talking about manifestations of the enemy. That's all I see. It's just manifestations of the enemy and manifestations of the enemy, manifestations of the enemy. And I get it. He manifests himself. But I'm like, believers, let's manifest some God up in this place. Let's manifest some power and some glory of Jesus. We know that Satan is doing what he does, and he's been doing it for thousands of years. And here's the thing is, we know that, and we still allow him to get to us. Huh. Think about it, right? Has anybody ever been, ever been, like, down or weary because of the conflict? And we know that. We know that he's coming at you. I mean, I've never served in the armed forces, but I know that those armed forces people, they prepare, right? They prepare. They prepare big time because they know that they have a, an enemy. And that's what we do. And so it takes us, it should not take us by any surprise when anything comes against us like that. Because we are in a conflict. We are in a war. And I get it that people get grow tired in, in the conflict. But we cannot be pacifists. We can't let it get to us. And we cannot become negotiators. We have to stay active in this conflict. Mm. You see, just to use it as an example, whenever we, we, we kind of use for a more current illustration, the, you know, what took place in Nazi Germany, you know, and we know that the allies of Germany were Japan and Italy. And there was a prime minister of the United Kingdom at the time. It wasn't Churchill. He was Neville Chamberlain. And Neville Chamberlain decided to be an appeaser. And he wanted to negotiate with a mad dog. You know, Hitler wanted to eradicate all the Jews from the face of the earth. That's what he wanted to do. And, you know, we're looking at this from a hist historical standpoint. We know. We know what took place. At the time, they didn't. When Neville Chamberlain was... he. He was looking at it, he didn't want to get involved in the conflict, right? He didn't want to get his hands dirty, and he didn't want people of England to get involved. He was trying to, to save his men, right? He didn't want to get involved in the conflict. He probably was hoping that it would just pass along and, and pass, you know, run its course and not come to his doors, Right? Well, we know that that didn't happen. And we know that Nazi Germany bombed London. 
At that time, when Neville Chamberlain was in as the prime minister at that time, there was a man by the name of Churchill. And he was coming over to the United States, and he was trying to get the United States to basically join forces because he knew that something was going to happen. Churchill gets into office as a prime minister, and he was opposing what was going on in Nazi Germany. We know that war was taking place all over Europe. The United States still didn't want to get involved. I'm no historical expert, okay, and I don't claim to be one. I know enough. The United States, I'm sure at that point, too, didn't want to get involved in a war going on across the world. But we know that something happened in Pearl Harbor, at Pearl Harbor, that forced our hand into a war. You see, we, we, don't, have, we don't have the luxury of negotiating with this enemy. And we don't have the luxury of being a pacifist with this enemy. We don't have that. You don't have that luxury. You as an individual do not have the luxury of just hoping that he'll go away. It doesn't work that way, does it? But what we do have is Jesus Christ. What we do have is the Holy Spirit. Amen? As we get into Ephesians chapter 6, as we go along through there, and let's just let's go there real quick. I'm only going to get through verse 10 today, I know, but I'm going to read 10 through 12. Verse 10, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And we're going to stop right there for this week as far as reading into Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to go back to verse 10 here in just a moment. But can I tell you this? Pastor Tommy, uh, as our youth leader, and I've told you this before, I'm sure, he drilled us with the armor of God. I mean, absolutely got this into our mind at a young age, the armor of God. And he would have us get up and recite the armor of God in class. And I was so nervous back then. I didn't want to get up in front of anybody. You know, I was like, don't pick me, don't pick me. Uh, but... It would come around to me, and then I would have to, you know, say something about the armor of God. But can I tell you how grateful I am and how thankful that he done that? At an early age, 13, 14 years old, he taught us the armor of God. And he stayed with that for the course of however long we were there, probably till we were 17 years old. I mean, so for about four years. And, and he would not let that go talking about the armor of God. But he knew the importance of getting that into us at an early age. And here today I'm looking around and I'm looking at people, you know the armor of God. You know the importance of the armor of God in your life. We're going to be talking about that for the next few weeks. We're going to go through piece after piece of the armor of God. We actually gave him a statue that's back there in the office right now. And it's a statue of a soldier with the armor of God. Or there's a shield there, I mean, that has the armor of God and it has that written on there. 
But uh, I am so thankful. And as we look into the armor of God, it is so powerful, so powerful what we have as believers. We know that we're in a conflict. We know that we're in a war. But this war, he, Satan's already lost. But he still has a measure of, of rule and authority. And he, he, he's just like a pesky old, pesky old bug or something. You know what I'm all talking about? You, you get what I'm saying? I've been cutting like laminate flooring all week on a job, right? That doesn't sound fun, does it? My knees hurt this today. Uh, some of you guys who know and you've done that, kind of, you know what I'm talking about. But I didn't wear long sleeves and I didn't have gloves on. And when I would cut that stuff, there must be something in it. Because it's got into my skin, and it has just, like, made me itch. I was telling Dina, I'm itching like crazy, and I'm getting these little things that keep coming up all over my arms, my hands, from the stuff in that dust or cutting that. And I just think, you know, that's, the devil's like that. He's just, he just gets under your skin sometimes, and if you allow him to, to, to stay there, he festers up, and he just does stuff that irritates the living daylights out of you, doesn't he? And he's destructive, and that's what he wants to do. And he, he wants to come, and he wants to steal your joy. You know that to be true when you've had joy, and you had joy, and then something happens, and he comes along, and next thing you know, you feel like your joy is zapped because either it's somebody or something's happened, and next thing you know, the joy of the Lord is gone out of your life. And that could just be everyday life, but I associate it with the devil. He wants to, he wants to take us out. Verse 10, he says, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. I'm about ready to wrap this up, and I want to give you some things there at the end of this, the close of this message this morning. Be strong in that, right there in that first part of that scripture. It doesn't mean building up your own strength. We must be empowered or strengthened. You get what I'm saying? You, you can't just build up your own strength. It, it comes from the Lord. In the Lord. Notice it doesn't say by the Lord. Only when our lives are in union with him do we possess the power to overcome the enemy. Paul is calling us to faithfulness here, to abide in Christ and trust in the Lord's power for everything in life. True Christian strength comes from recognizing our total dependence on God. That's what Paul meant when he wrote these words, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Almost finished up. Something to mention here is this, that word strong, in this verse in the Greek, and I've heard a lot of people preach this as dynamite and dunamis and things like that. And the actual Greek word right there, if you look it up, in the Strong's, where it says strong, that very first one, it's endunameo. Endunameo is a power who perp whose purpose is to infuse a believer with an excessive dose of inward strength. This type of power is so strong that it can withstand any attack and successfully oppose any kind of force. That's the kind of power that is available to you and I. That's a supernatural strength 
that is available to believers in Jesus Christ. Now, I know we've heard that. That is in dunomeo. But if you go to that last word, strength, not the last word, but where it says strength of his might, that is a Greek word, kratos. And that Greek word, kratos, is a demonstrated power. It's an eruptive, it's a tangible power. Almost always comes with some type of external outward manifestation. Kratos' power is not a hypothetical power, it's a real power. It's the same power, if you can throw this one up there for me, Ephesians chapter 1. I don't know if I gave this one to you or not. Ephesians chapter 1, 19 through 20. This is the same power that's mentioned here. You see, all this talk about being in a conflict or war, to get really to this, to give an encouragement, because I know the battle gets weary. Here's the thing is, we have power. We have power. We have strength. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That Kratos' power is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's powerful. That's some power right there. Whenever I say that, and I hope that that does not become some, something we hear over and over and over, and it becomes like a, one of those things that becomes monotonous because you hear it so much, but it's the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. That's enough to encourage us today. We have the same resurrection power of Jesus working in our lives. Kratos is the overwhelming power that the Roman soldiers encountered at the grave. Whenever the Kratos power uh, rose Jesus up out of that grave, they fell to their faces. They crumbled. At the, they were paralyzed until the resurrection was over. That power that raised Jesus from the dead was an eruptive power, wasn't it? It was a demonstrated power. We need to grab a hold of that this morning. Paul uses this very word to describe the power that is available to us. It's the overwhelming, empowering of the Holy Spirit. Would you just bow your heads with me this morning as I close? We're not going to have an altar call this morning. I want to I ask some questions today. To your, I just want you to answer this to yourself. We're not going to have any music playing. I just want to leave with this, and I want you to think about this. We obviously know that we're in a conflict. We're in a spiritual conflict. But the question is today is whether you're going to win or lose. We know that Jesus won. But what will you do? Will you win or lose? Are you going to choose to be a pacifist, opposing the conflict and not become active? 
Are you going to make concessions and try to negotiate your way out? Or are you going to dare to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit and be an active part of the advancement of the kingdom of God? And those are just the questions we ask this morning. And you've got to answer that for yourself. We obviously know that we're in a conflict. And we for sure know that Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, we have the power in us and through us to be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. So I'm going to leave you with that today to think about.